Well, I want to say good morning to all of you who are here. I am at our Sugarloaf campus. We all we are one church in uh, with two campuses. We have a campus that's about 20 minutes to the north of us at Mill Creek, and uh, we also have people who are watching online. So welcome to all of you. And you all, if you are watching online, I really would encourage you to find the campus that's closest to you and check it out and come see what God is doing at the great church that I get to pastor. I, I want to tell you a story. It happened about, oh, it happened over 60 years ago, but it's an incredible story. It's about a man named Wagner Dodge. Wagner Dodge was a professional firefighter and, known as a smoke jumper. Now, you may know about this if you're familiar with firefighting, but smoke jumpers are these firefighters that get into airplanes and they fly right into fire, forest fires and they parachute right down into the center of the fire hoping they can put it out and stop the flames. Well, Dodge and his 15-man crew jump into this plane in Montana and they fly to a place called Man Gulch. And as they parachuted in, it, it, it looked like a pretty normal operation. It looked like that they could easily get the fire under control. So they all landed safely, and they had single file down the gorge toward the Missouri River to take on this fire. Well, he left his men up in the middle of the gorge to scout out what was ahead. As he got within 100 feet of the fire, he saw three things that would change his life forever. First of all, the fire was much worse than what he thought it was, and the wind was much stronger than they anticipated, and so it was blowing the fire a lot quicker and a lot faster than they thought. Secondly, the winds were blowing the fire above the gulch where he had left his men, and he realized that it had cut off any way of escape. The third problem was as he ran back to his men and ordered them to retreat, hoping they could find an escape route, he realized that this gulch was in what is known as a transitional zone. Now, I didn't know anything about a transitional zone, but let me just tell you this. If you're a firefighter and you're those two words, it's not a good time. It's not a good day. You're not real happy about it. A, a forest fire rarely moves at more than four or five miles an hour, and generally, a, a firefighter or a smoke jumper can, can always outrun them. But Man Gulch was part of a transitional zone. This is an area where a mountain forest transitions into level plains and prairie grass. And in this case, you've probably seen this before, it wasn't prairie grass down to your knees. It was prairie grass that was shoulder high. It was bone dry. And if flames hit flat, uh, um, grass like that, it, it's almost like an explosive. Every firefighter knows that you cannot outrun a prairie grass fire. And in about 30 seconds, Wagner Dodge came to the realization that he and his men had about two minutes, and they're going to be completely engulfed in the fire. Now, I want you to think about this. You're, you're in this gulch, the sap. And a few scattered trees was superheating and exploding like bombs. Smoke was as thick as fog. Ashes and embers are falling like snow. <clears throat> there was no escape. Dodge and his 15 men were trapped. And it looked like the only options available were basically three. They could stand and burn up. They could turn and burn up. Or they could run and burn up. They had about 60 seconds to live. And the thought that ran through Wagner's Dodge's mind at that point was this. I'm out of options. 
Now, <clears throat> we've all been there where we're surrounded by the fires of circumstances and situations. Some maybe we got ourselves into and some maybe we didn't. And we felt like there's no way out. There's just no option except to cheat on your taxes or on an examination or on your spouse. There, there are no options except to embezzle from your company or pad your expense account or compromise your convictions for the wrong thing. You think you're at a point in your life where you, you think, well, there's nothing else left for me to do except to give in and give out and give up. And that's what Wagner Dodge thought. We're in a series that we're calling Out of Options. Because the good news for all of us is, even though you may be at times in those situations where you think your choice box is empty, when you think there's no way out, when you think if the only thing you can do is the wrong thing, the central theme of this entire series is so very simple. When you think you're out of options, there is always the God option. Or to put it another way, with God, you're never out of options. And today, we're going to explore one of the most familiar and famous stories in all the Bible, which I believe not only is such a great story and such a magnificent story of the power of God, but it is so relevant to where the world is today, so relevant to where our nation is today, so relevant to where the church is today, so relevant to where those of us who claim to follow Jesus, where we are today. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or you use a, a, an iPad or a smartphone or whatever device you use, I want you to turn again to the book of Daniel. We were actually in this book last week, but I want you to turn to Daniel and, and where we were in first, the first chapter uh, last week, I want you to turn to the third chapter of Daniel. This is a story, and it's familiar, when I tell you, you're going to say, oh yeah, I've heard that story. Many of you have growing up when you were a child. It's the story of three young men who were thrown into a fiery furnace. Why were they thrown into a fiery furnace? Because they did two things. They stood up for what was right, and they stood against what was wrong. Now, I want you to keep in mind that when you read stories in the Bible, like this one, you're not just simply reading what God has done. You're reading what God is doing. You're not just reading what God has said. You're reading what God is saying. You're not just reading how God wanted people to live back then. You're reading how God wants his people to live right now. And there's a great lesson that all of us who are going to follow Jesus in this day and age and stay true to his word had better learn as we face the coming days and weeks and months and years right now in our nation. And here is the lesson. When facing the fire, take the heat. And let me just tell you, you're going to face fire. If you make up your mind to do the right thing, you're going to face fire. If you make up your mind, you're going to stand for truth. You're going to face fire. If you make up your mind, you're going to do what's right, even if everybody else is doing what's wrong, you are going to face the fire. And my advice to you right up front, make up your mind today. Whenever I've got to face the fire, I'm going to take the heat. When you're confronted with a situation, when you can either stand for what's right or compromise with what's wrong, and you're all going to face those times, I want you to take the th same three steps that three, these three men took thousands of years ago. Here's the first thing I want to tell you to do. Number one, you take courage from God. 
When you're in that situation and you're tempted to do the wrong thing, tempted to say the wrong thing, tempted to take the wrong path, tempted to go the wrong way, you take courage from God. Now, there are three parts to this story, and, and if you're familiar with them, you'll know them. If not, I'm going to break them down for you one at a time. And the story's pretty much set up in the first six verses. We're in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now remember... It was all because of Israel's disobedience and disregard of God that he had allowed them to be taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians, in turn, <clears throat> had taken captive some of the finest young men in Babylon in order to turn them into productive citizens. Well, the leader of, Nebu of, of, of the nation of Babylon was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, who was at that time the most powerful ruler in the world. As a matter of fact, no one before Nebuchadnezzar and no one since has ever ruled over more people and more property at one time than Nebuchadnezzar. And he was not only commander-in-chief of the most powerful army on earth, he was the high priest of political correctness. He wanted everybody to practice the same religion. He wanted everybody to bow down to the same God. He wanted everybody to genuflect at the same altar he wanted to make sure that everybody was included, nobody was excluded, and the only thing that was not going to be tolerated was anyone who would not tolerate what he wanted tolerated. I'm not going to say that again. Just take my word for it. Now listen. He lifts up this 90-foot golden image of this pagan god, and at the appointed time, all he wants everybody to, to do is just bow down and worship it. No exemptions. No exceptions, can't call in sick, can't get a note from the doctor. Everybody's got to be there. And you'll notice, by the way, the list of dignitaries that was there. Everybody who was somebody, it was a veritable political who's who, had gathered together on this plane to join the cult of conformity, and everybody was going to bow down to this pagan god. And it must have been a tremendous sight. P people were being interviewed on Good Morning Babylon. There was coverage on CNN, the Chaldean News Network. I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar has done something never before done. He's established a brand new religion to be practiced and a brand new God to be worshipped. And everybody's going to join the church on the same day because, after all, the only alternative was to be barbecued like a crispy critter. Now, that'll motivate you to get up and go to church. That'll motivate you to get in line. That'll motivate you to say, sure, I would love to worship this God. But then 
the wind of this demonic commandment collides with the wall of a divine courage. Three young Hebrew men stood up when everybody else bowed down and it was reported to the king what had happened. We're in verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, now think about that for just a moment. Anybody and everybody that was somebody fell in line. They do what they're told. They go along to get along. Everybody's doing it. The mayor's doing it. The senators are doing it. The congressmen are doing it. The governors are doing it. The sheriff is doing it. The marshals are doing it. The principals are doing it. The head coaches are doing it. Everybody who is anybody who is somebody is bowing down and worshiping and doing what they're told to do except these three men. And you talk about a profile in courage. By the way, let me just tell you this. It doesn't take any courage to be a part of the moral majority. It takes courage to be a part of the moral minority. And you know, once again, these young men could have very easily rationalized and compromised. I mean, you know, we've heard things like this before, right? Well, I don't believe I ought to let my beliefs interfere with my politics. Or they could have said, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. You know, when in Babylon, do what the Babylonians do. Or, or, or how about this? Does this sound familiar? Well, I just don't want to impose my morality or my viewpoint on somebody else. Or how about this? I know what I'll do. I'll bow down on the outside. I just won't bow down on the inside. Or how about this one? Well, it's the law. I guess I have to obey it. I mean, it's legal, therefore it must be right. But these three young men do us a huge favor. You know what they do? They show us what real faith is all about. Listen to this. Real faith means obeying God regardless of the feelings within us, the circumstances around us, or the consequences before us. That's what real faith is. Real faith is when you say, Lord, I don't really want to do this. Lord, Everybody else is doing it. Lord, if I don't do it, this could happen to me. But Lord, I know what you've told me to do, and I am going to obey you. And let me just say this. One of the greatest lessons you parents will ever teach your children is teach them early on to have the courage to stand what is right, even if they have to stand alone. Because the only place you will find this courage is in God. But just remember this. Always remember this. When you stand for what's right, you never stand alone. When you stand for what's right, God is always standing with you and for you. So number one, you take confidence from God. I take courage from God. Number two, keep confidence in God. Take courage from God, but then keep confidence in God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar hears about the disobedience of these three men, and I want to tell you what, he is not a happy guy. 
I mean, his temperature is higher and his temper is hotter than that fiery furnace. And he decides to give these young men a second chance. He says, well, maybe they just didn't really hear what I really wanted or, or maybe they were just having a weak moment. And so he decides to give them a second chance and in the process save their life because he liked these young men. He'd got to know these young men. He did not want to kill these young men. He needed these young men in his service. So he makes them an offer that he thinks they just can't refuse. Verse 15. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, listen to this next question, because this is big. This is huge. And who is the God who will deliver you out? Of my hands. Now I want you to listen to that last question. Just let that sink in. Because that's the question you will always be asked when you're being tempted to compromise, to give in, to go along, to get along, to take the bait, to get in line, to do whatever everybody else is doing. The question you're really being asked when you're asked to do that is this. Do you really believe in this God you say you believe in? Do you really trust this God you say you trust in? Do you really, are you really committed enough to say, I'm going to obey this God no matter what it costs? Do you really believe in a God who delivers? Now look at their response, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I love this. I love, this is great. Answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Can I make a confession? I, I love smart Alex. I, I just do. I, I, people that know me, I can be a smart aleck at times. I love a good smart aleck. And, and I love these guys. They don't fear. They don't flinch. They look the king square in the eye and they say, um, Neb, the time for talk is over. Not up for debate. Not up for discussion. Read our lips. We may burn, but we won't bend. We won't bow. And we won't budge. Now, you know this, in a storm, the, the tree that's most likely to draw the lightning is which one? The tallest one. In a storm, it's the tallest tree that's most likely to catch the lightning. And if you decide you're going to stand tall when everybody else is cowering down, if you decide to stand up when everybody else is bowing down for what's right, I just want, to, I just want you to understand, you're going to draw the fire. And you're going to face the heat. Now, Obviously, if these three young men had been in charge, they, they, they would have exercised any number of options, right? I mean, maybe they, maybe they would have had the golden image destroyed, or, or maybe they could have persuaded Nebuchadnezzar to retract the law, or, or maybe they would have just caused a fire in the furnace to, to go out, or, or maybe they would have just simply said, look, would you just excuse the three of us? I mean, everybody else is doing it. We're just three guys. What does it matter whether we do it or not? They could have asked for an ex ex exemption because at this point, they are out of options. I mean, this is live or die. This is life or death. So what do they say? Listen, it gets better and better. Verse 17. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, this is what I love about these guys. <laughs> Whatever was about to happen, they weren't going to walk into that fiery furnace groaning or complaining or griping and saying, woe is me. 
They were going to walk into that fiery furnace singing how great is our God. They were going to face the fire with faith and not with fear. And you say, well, why did they have such a great faith? Because they knew they served a great God. They had great faith in a great God. They said, our God is able to deliver us. And by the way, that's something I hope you'll never forget. When you're taking the heat, when you're facing the fire, when you're the only one standing by yourself, when everybody else seems to have forsaken you, when you think you are all alone, we serve a God who is able. Scientifically, our God is able to take nothing and turn it into everything. Emotionally, Our God is able to take grief and turn it into glory. Physically, our God is able to take illness and turn it into wellness. Spiritually, our God is able to take a rebellious heart and turn it into a redeemed heart. And eternally, our God is able to take the sunset of death and turn it into the sunrise of resurrection. Our God is able But now what they say next, in my opinion, is one of the all-time great statements of faith ever found in the entire Bible. Listen to their next statement, verse 18. But if not. But if it's not God's will to deliver us from the furnace, if it is not God's will that we survive this day, If it is not God's will that we live a full, rich life and get married and have kids, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image you have set up. Put a circle around those three words, but if not. Now, they had already made up their mind. Their heart was set in concrete. They'd already decided what was right and what was wrong. They'd already decided that ahead of time. Let me tell you, this is a great great thing to remember. Too many people, you know why too many people fail the test? Do you know why too many people won't take the heat? Do you know why too many people go along to get along? Do you know why too many people do what everybody else is doing? You know why why, why too many people just go with the crowd? Because they make this mistake. Too many people spend too much time trying to make up their mind what they're going to do when they're faced with a situation to give in and get up. They wait until that time comes, and then they try to make up their mind, and that's when they fail. Let me tell you something. You better make up your mind every day before you walk out the door of your home, whether you're going to live for God or not, whether you're going to obey God or not, whether you're going to serve God or not. I learned a long time ago, and I'm glad I learned this when I was really just a teenager. I learned that if I'll just make one or two big decisions, it just makes all the other little decisions a lot easier to make, and I don't have to worry about them. You see, when those boys got up that morning, and they put on their clothes, and they joined everybody else out there on that plane, their mind was already made up. We're not going to worship this God. They had already made up their mind. We will choose the fire. We will take the heat. Now, here's what I love about their faith. They knew that God could deliver them because God can do anything, right? They knew that. Our God is able. They said that to him. They knew that God could deliver them. They did not know that God would deliver them. They knew that God could spare their life, 
But they didn't know that God would spare their life. But what they said was, whether our God delivers us from this fire or whether our God delivers us through this fire, whether we live or whether we die, we're going to stand with God and we're going to stand for God. You want to know what real faith is? Sometimes, you know, one of the things you ought to do is, as, a, as a follower of Jesus and, and as a Christian is every now and then you ought to kind of put your faith under the microscope. You ought to examine your faith and ask yourself, is my faith really real? Is my faith the kind of faith that pleases God? You know, the Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God, but it's impossible to please God if you don't have the right kind of faith. You say, well, well can you tell me the, what, what kind of faith pleases God? Yeah, I'll show you. Real faith is not the confidence that God will work things out the way you want. Real faith is the confidence that God will work things out the way He wants. That is real faith. And the truth of the matter is, when you stand for God, listen, you may die. You stand for God, you may lose your job. You stand for God... You may lose a friend. You stand for God. You may not play next week. You stand for God. You may lose a lot. If you, let me put it to you this way. The truth of the matter is, there are a lot of people in the world right now, and they're standing for God, but it really doesn't look good for them. You see, you can love God and still not get healed. You can obey God and lose your job. Faith is not believing that you'll live and not die. Faith is not believing that you'll be healed and not die. Faith is not believing that you'll keep your job and you won't lose it. Faith is believing it is better to die than if you die in the will of God than to live outside the will of God. Faith is believing it is better to die than to live if to live is outside of the will of God for your life. Listen, you've got to have the kind of faith where you say, Lord, I'd rather be on the unemployment line tomorrow if that's your will than to be promoted to the president of the corporation if it is outside of your will. See, a but if not faith understands that we can't always be sure of what's going to happen, but we can always be sure of who is controlling what is going to happen. And every day, we ought to get up with the confidence in the God that we say that we serve, that we know God has not disappeared because of disappointment. Death does not mean that God has failed. Difficulty does not mean that God is weak and things are out of control. And if you're facing the fire right now and you're taking the heat right now, let me just give you a bit of good news. Always remember this. When you decide you're going to face the fire and you decide you're going to take the heat, remember, God's eye is always on the thermostat. Or God's eye is always on the thermometer. And God's hand is always on the thermostat. And we can take the heat when it comes. Because God won't allow you ever to experience or endure anything. He doesn't give you the strength to bear and to overcome. So what do you do when you have to take the heat? What do you do when you're facing the fire? You take confidence. You take courage from God. 
You keep confidence in God. And then you honor commitment to God. Now, there was no small print in the contract of their commitment. If God delivered them from the furnace, they would live for God. If God delivered them through the furnace and they died, they would live with God. So whether they lived or died, they made a commitment to God and they were going to honor it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had an equally strong commitment to his God. He said, I told you, if you don't bow down to this God, you're going to go in the fiery furnace. I am going to barbecue you. And they had their chance and they blew it. And if they were willing to take the heat, he was willing to give it. But now the fun begins. We read later on that he heats up the furnace. He's so mad, he heats the furnace up seven times hotter than usual. Because he was determined they were going to go from rare to well done in the flash of an eye. He wanted the smell of their cooking flesh to be a reminder to everyone else, you better step in line and you better stay in line or this is what's going to happen to you. But this is what happened. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now this story gets more incredible. Three men are thrown into the fire. But a fourth man is in the fire. Now, scholars debate whether or not this was the Son of God or someone like a Son of God. Some scholars believe it was the Son of God. Some scholars believe it was an angel like a Son of God. Now, personally, I believe this was an Old Testament appearance of the New Testament Jesus. I believe it was the Son of God. But regardless, Nebuchadnezzar now realizes, you know what? They can stand there all day, but we're not going to be having any barbecue tonight. There's not going to be any sizzling flesh today. And so waving the white flag of surrender, we read this in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Now, let me just stop. You do the math. So how many men went into the fire? Right, three. How many men were in the fire? Right, four. How many men came out of the fire? Right, three. Well, the last time I checked, four minus three equals one. So if, four, if three men went into the fire and four men were in the fire and three men came out of the fire, let's go back to our first grade lesson. So where is the fourth man? You say, well, he's still in the fire. That's right. You see, when you take the heat for God, he's waiting to take the heat with you. Did you hear that? When you take the heat for God, he is waiting to hate, take the heat with you. My mentor, Dr. Rogers, used to say so often, Jesus did not come into this world to get you out of trouble. He came into the world to get into trouble with you. See, you never need to fear the furnace. 
Now, listen, let me think. Let me show you how important it is. Let me tell you why it's a big deal when you face the fire, when you have to take the heat. Let me tell you why it's such a big deal that you make sure you do it. You face the fire, you go into that furnace, and you take the heat no matter what. Let me tell you why it's such a big deal. Let's just assume these boys had not done that. If these boys had kept their mouth shut, if they had minded their own business, if they'd gotten in line and done what they were told, right? Well, here's the good news. They would have never been thrown into that furnace, right? But that's not good news. You say, what do you mean it's not good news? Here's why. If they had not been thrown into that furnace, they would have never experienced the presence of God. They would have never enjoyed the power of God. And they would have never been enveloped by the protection of God. And we wouldn't even be talking about them today. See, when you're tempted to take the coward's way out, forsake your convictions, compromise your integrity, and here's what you do. When you decide, I'm not going to take the heat. I'm not getting into that furnace. I'm not going to face this fire. I'm going to bow down like everybody else. I'm going to go along with the crowd. Let me tell you what you just did. You just took God out of the picture. You just totally, in a way, neutered God. You just took God out. You know why? Fiery furnaces are divine opportunities to show what a mighty God he is. Fiery furnaces are divine opportunities to show what a mighty God he is. See, you know what this story, you know why this story is even in the Bible? This story is in the Bible to tell us you can face any fire. You can walk into any furnace. You can take any heat. Because God is already there waiting for you, and God is with you. And whether you live or whether you die, doesn't matter. What matters is you stand faithful and true to the God that will stand faithful and true to you. Oh, you remember those firefighters that uh, we talked about at the beginning of the message? Remember Mr. Dodge who felt like um, he was out of options? Well, it turned out they weren't, and the rest of the story really gets incredible. Dodge suddenly takes out a match. He lights it, and to the amazement of his, of his men, he throws it into the shoulder-high grass right in front of him. Well, his men thought he'd lost his mind because the grass explodes. The grass, I mean, just all of a sudden, it's just one big blaze, and the grass was burning in this widening circle. And as this ring of this new fire spread, it cleared a small area of everything flammable. Because remember, the fire behind them is roaring toward, the, toward them far faster than they can run. And it's going to be there in any moment. And here's what Mr. Dodge did. As soon as there was a clearing where that fire had burned, he jumped right into the center of that blazing ring, moved right into the center of it, called for his men to join him, wrapped a wet cloth around his face, got down on the ground, and waited. And you know what happened? That surging firewall that was just about to take their life came all the way around that circle and then leapt over the top. You know why? Found nothing to burn. As a matter of fact, you know what's incredible? Dodge's hair wasn't even singed. There was not a mark on him. He went totally, totally free of any harm whatsoever. He said, boy, that's a great story. No, it's really kind of sad. Because 13 of the 15 men didn't listen to him. 
13 of those 15 men decided they would be better making a run for it. And none of them made it. You see, it was only the men who realized that fire does not go where fire has already been that were saved. In other words, you know who lived through that? The men that lived through that were the men that were willing to face the fire and take the heat. Now, what's the point? What's all this have to do with you and me? Just this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked into a fiery furnace in the shape of a cross. He took the fire of God's wrath against our sin so that we could be forgiven and redeemed from the fire of death and we could receive the light of eternal life. And if for no other reason, every chance we get, we ought to take the heat for Jesus because he took the greatest heat for us. Let's pray together.